Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield, and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. If you're looking for our Big Sam reaction show, I'm afraid you've come to the wrong episode. That was recorded yesterday as a special bonus pod, but I'm sure his name will pop up today as we continue to jump into the Daily Telegraph sting, which just keeps on delivering more dirt. Hi, Ken. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hello there, Owen. We're prepared to cover ourselves in a film of grimy filth today, I assume. Oh, oh the Telegraph. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool, gotcha. Murph's like, it's Friday already? <laughs> this is uh, this is incredible. We're also going to go over to Glasgow. <laughs> Good God, old. We're going to go over to Glasgow to chat to Tom English, who was at Celtic Park for an incredible European night last night. I must start, though, by letting you know, Ken, you'll be pleased to, pleased to know this, Yeah. that your impromptu sports people with diabetes slot on Monday show yes. has gone down a treat, hit it. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fing with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Today's first scumbag is Susan Todd, who entitles her email Footballers with Diabetes. Hi, I am a pensioner, in inverted commas, who faithfully listens to your podcast from Seattle. Please tell Ken that we have a Seattle Sounders player, Jordan Morris, who has had type 1 diabetes since he was nine years old. Jordan also played in Dublin in 2014 with the under-23s. Last weekend, he scored two goals against Ken, LA Galaxy, in our 4-2 win. Yeah, 4-2 win, our first win over Kino's boys. I'm putting that one in there. Since 2009, he is one to watch, apparently. All the best to you and your family, Susan Todd. Oh, thank you, Susan. That is a, possibly the most polite email we've ever received. That's, That's great. Susan, and you go and call her a scumbag. Well, I, I didn't know she was going to be so nice. <laughs> <laughs> All you heard was we'd gotten an email in. I, I just consider everybody a scumbag until I get to know them. Or, okay, well, Susan, every you're not email a scumbag, is just a, yeah. Every scumbag is just an emailer person. you haven't got to know yet. Yeah. As they say. Uh, Sorry, I talked over your gag with my not very good fine. gag. <laughs> it's fine. Smoking Joe Frazier, apparently. What? I don't know if he's type one or type two. Uh, maybe I can find that out. You find that out, Ken, as I read out our second piece of scum today. 
John God, Connolly. this one's really taken off. Yeah, John Connolly, Diabetic Heroes <laughs> is the title. Mm. This is a little bit longer. Hi, lads. Last Monday's podcast, your side on athletes with diabetes, brought to mind Billy Mills, who came from obscurity to win gold in, a te- in the 10,000 metres in Tokyo, as in the Tokyo Olympics. Not sure if you have covered this before, but his story is pretty incredible in terms of the adversity he overcame, poverty. He was raised by his brother and sister on a CU reservation in South Dakota, a crippling lack of self-confidence, and of course, diabetes slash hypoglycemia. The diabetes part is a story in itself. It was largely uncontrolled until he joined the Marines in the early 60s and was transferred to California. Suddenly, he was able to pick, peel, and eat oranges as he ran and keep his blood sugar levels in check. His times began to tumble, but he was still pretty much a rank outsider going to the Olympics in 1964. The NBC commentary of his Olympics win is also pretty tremendous. He's basically clotheslined by, by an Australian in the last lap before coming from behind to win. Thought Ken at least might enjoy it. Thanks for all the good stuff. Best from John. Another nice guy. Yeah. Great but story. It, if only we had the NBC uh, commentary that is referenced in the email. Oh, John might have helped us out with that one, I think. The unheralded Mahout Gamudi of Tunis is putting on a tremendous sprint. He's out ahead of Ron Clark, Bill Mills, the United States is in third place. This will certainly be the fastest 10,000 meter ever run by an American. Here they come down the final lap. Can Ron Clark catch Gamudi? They're going through the field. He's coming up. He's passing Gamudi. Look at Bill! Look at Mills! Look at Mills! Coming on! Mills is coming on! Oh. No! It might be Bill Mills! What a tremendous surprise here! Bill Mills in the United States! Presumably Bill Mills' brother in co-commentary there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely insane. I love that. Uh, Bill Mills, there, another diabetic hero. Very weird coincidence that this race has come up because I actually watched it just a few weeks ago. The 10,000 metres in the Tokyo Olympics in 1964. Remember we did the piece in the radio show about Jim Hogan, the Irish runner with Fintan O'Toole, the Irish Times, the Irish runner who in the marathon in those Olympics tried to chase down the legendary Abibi Bikila but had to quit through exhaustion, right? If you watch the whole movie, Tokyo Olympiad, which I ultimately did, Hogan also features in that race won by Billy Mills at 10,000 metres. Unfortunately, once again, for this great nation of ours, Ken, our boy Hogan walked off the track in that one. (laughs) (laughs) He just got tired. He just didn't... Go as hard as you can for as long as as you can. can. And if that's 9,000 metres, Murph, or 23.1 miles, well, that's just got to deal with that. Yeah, Killian, uh, Joe Frazier's type two, uh, don't be easy, I suppose, like Johnny Cash, who obviously died of it. Uh, Killian Kelly got in touch to say there's an all-diabetic cycling team, Nova Nordisk, which is uh, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> in fact, uh, there's just there's hundreds of millions of us out there. It's an ever it's a, an exploding population. Mm. It's an ever increasing club, and uh, we look forward to welcoming. Many of you. Uh, Many <laughs> of you currently listening. Yeah. Over the coming Depending years. What diets. is the view amongst type 1ers about the type 2 crowd? Oh, no, wait. The di- the, yeah, the type 2 are the, because of your unbelievably sugary diet, you get diabetes. Whereas type 1 is, is that is that it? That's when you're struck down in your prime like John Keats. You yeah. know, uh, you're... Uh, was it not the, syphilis with him? As I just presume... You know, poet. No, it was, it was tuberculosis. I wasn't saying he, you know, he had diabetes. Oh, I mean, right, maybe okay. he did. Who knows? It would have, been, it would have, you know, been a. I always wondered if, if the character in Wuthering Heights is it Hindley died of diabetes? The way he suddenly passes out and he kind of just withers away in the middle of, you know, his twenties, <laughs> struck yeah. struck me as impossible. Is it usually the consumption or something? Sorry. Consumption. Oh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it could have been. It could have been. I don't know. These are the things that you that you end up thinking about. Um, I when suppose. you've got type one diabetes, of course, can. But no, I, I would say, uh, Murph, that you know, type one is the type that it's just not your fault. 
Yeah. You know, what can you, what can you do? You're bravely battling on. Type two, you know, you got to take a look at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there is a... He's a diabetic snob. Do on top of everything else, <laughs> he's a diabetic snob. <laughs> well, there is there is that attitude people have. They think, oh, diabetes. They, they view it as a, as a thing that, that happens to you when you eat too much. But I would say, no, it's only that in the vast majority of cases, there is a small minority of cases in which... Uh, there is no blame. Your Mabbitses, your Earlies of this world. Yeah, your Neil, your Neil Youngs. The bell signals the end of diabetes chat. Yes, Murph, I found my bell again today. Email address for any emails from any of you scum around the country or indeed around the world. Thank it, you again, Susan. Thanks again, Susan. Uh, lovely email. It's secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Time now for our and sport. So I guess we'll start off Well, the Champions League. We will, as you mentioned, I'll be talking to Tom English. The Celtic result is really the outstanding one, I guess, of the of match day two. Oh, yeah. Um, Amazing match. I mean, really incredible, uh, considering how the previous two results had gone. Um, I mean, Manchester City wiped the floor with Borussia Mönchengladbach. Celtic got beaten 7-0. Uh, and then uh, the next week, Celtic are holding Man City to a draw, while Mönchengladbach led against Barcelona for a lot of the game. Ultimately lost, but, you know, it wasn't... Um, it was by no means a walkover. It was nice to see City just knocked off their stride. Particularly mm. by a team who should not have had the football ability to knock them off their stride in front of an old school raucous Celtic crowd. Yeah, and, and they looked a little bit more like the, the Man City we are familiar with, rather, rather than this kind of new, this this terrifying, uh, terrifyingly accomplished Manchester City, which have just been steamrolling everybody. Um, and it is going to be now. Uh, I mean, the next game they have is away to Tottenham which is not an easy game before they go for the international break. Kevin De Bruyne's injury is a huge problem for them. You know, even a, a team uh, which which seems to be this well-coached and this accomplished can't lose a player like that without, you know, losing a bit of momentum as well. So Tottenham are unbeaten, City are unbeaten. Um, we'll see how that one uh, goes on Saturday. Guardiola afterwards actually sniggered when... Sniggered is maybe the wrong word, but but sort of... Obviously, Shortled? found it funny when somebody suggested, "Is that the kind of atmosphere you want to see at Man City?" <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Oh, you know, each club has his own personality. Uh, each club uh, has his own way of responding to situations that arise on the field." Uh, I, I could say, "I want Man City to be like that," but maybe it wouldn't be right for him. Uh, maybe uh, the identity needs to be City's own identity. So he kind of sidestepped the issues there a little bit. Uh, there aren't many clubs, I suppose, that make as much. I mean, it's interesting to listen to those songs. I was like trying to recognize the songs. They were. I'm sure at one point I heard, "Oh, Grace, just hold me in your arms." I didn't know they sang that Celtic. You know that one? It's one of the 1916 leaders is in the cell. No. Now awaiting execution in Kilmainham. No, don't know that song at all. Actually. You don't? No. It's a plunket or one of these lads. Anyway, he's he's engaged to be married, so they get married Grace in the Gifford cell. Was the is it is it is yeah that's that's, that's right. The, that the woman in question, Grace Gifford, yeah. And uh, anyway, sure, it's very it's it's a bit maudlin, and it's it's not your usual football crowd material. Plunkett. I don't expect to I don't expect to hear it at Eastlands anytime soon. Um, but that's the nature of Celtic, I suppose. It was a good performance also by Arsenal, very good. Um, and I saw there was a bit of. We were talking to Jonathan Wilson the other day, and the player that he highlighted when talking about Arsenal uh, as an interesting case was Theo Walcott. Walcott, who scored the two goals, 
And, you know, I was kind of watching him with uh, what Jonathan had been saying in mind, you know, this idea that Walcott had kind of decided at this stage of his career, okay, maybe I'm never going to be this, you know. At, at the time in 2006, you know, when he was kind of breaking through and making it into the England squad, it was the new Michael Owen. Yeah. Maybe I'm never going to be the new Michael Owen, and maybe the new Michael Owen isn't the thing that I should really have been aspiring to be anyway. Instead of which, maybe I can become a, a kind of a tough all-round player. Because Walcott is a is an impressive athlete. You know, he's got great speed, um, and he's added evidently a little bit of power as well. So what's the what, you know why not? I think Jonathan made the point that he made two tackles at the weekend, which is a lot higher than his usual. That he was averaging two tackles per game. No, I think he was averaging like a half a tackle per game or something like before, that. Before. And then he, Before this season. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's two tackles this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, yeah, you could. I thought you could see a bit of that, but I understand he, he drew some flack on TV. Oh, well, I saw Duffer. Yeah, I was watching RT last night and it was thrown to Duffer. You know, Walcott, great stuff. You know, all about attacking wide play. And. Duff said, yeah, yeah, well, you know, nice, nice play. But uh, to be honest, I saw some quotes from him uh, a while back about him deciding to knuckle down and work really hard this summer. Decided he was really going to kind of graft and get stuck into it. And I was dumbfounded by those comments. He might want to take a look at his buddy there, Sanchez, who's, I'm still talking as Damien Duff here, okay. who strikes me as the kind of player who works hard all the time on the pitch off the pitch training all the rest of it mm. so why Walcott leaves until 10 years into his career to start working hard I don't know Liam Brady was there Brady having coached uh, Walcott for well I assume Liam Brady years. stepped up and started batting away these criticisms seriously like um, your man Kevin Peterson he didn't do that <laughs> he also didn't lay into Walcott in any way he, he kind of moved the conversation on ah he sat by he sat by he allowed these words to go like Henry Shefflin, you know, that it's not enough for Shefflin to not criticise any Kilkenny players. He's not allowed to let anyone else on the Sunday game paddle criticise Kilkenny players and sit mute while this goes on. We all knew what you were thinking, Shefflin. <laughs> Same with Brady and Walcott. Silence is acquiescence. Yeah, well, we, well, we, we certainly saw silence then. Well, who else was giving out about him? Roy Keane. Um, <laughs> listen, he's had a good week. The guy, the guy needs to relax. <laughs> try, try to play well for the next seven or eight months. Tonight was a lovely game for Arsenal. Just I, I think that's actually a bit like Basel are a good team. They'd never lost to an English team away from home before that. They are they, a win in a number of draws against good English teams. I know it's the Swiss league, but Basel are a team that you know they've been kind of stomping on everybody in their league were made to look, were destroyed, absolutely destroyed by Arsenal. I think you've actually got to give credit for a really good performance like that. You can't just say, oh, well, it's only Basel. You know what I mean? Arsenal made it an easy game. They 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 ripped into pieces. Basel couldn't touch them. You know, they couldn't live with them. Um, uh, but, it, but Keane says, when they're in the, that form and have that amount of possession, they're great to watch. They could have seven or eight, nine goals easily. But the crunch games are still to come for them when the cold nights come in with half the Arsenal players with their gloves on. So I wouldn't be getting carried away with Walcott. He scored some lovely goals tonight with the simplicity of his movement. It was outstanding, but he's got to do it over the course of the next year or two. Fair enough. But, you know, the gloves, is the gloves a thing? Yeah, it can be periodically. I thought it had been forgotten about at this point. It was a big novelty 10, 15 years ago when foreign players would start wearing gloves. Mm. Um, 
I, th- I just think he played well. Is there any harm in saying that he played well? Well done, keep it up. As opposed to, I'm not impressed. Uh, I, I don't know. But uh, I, thought, I thought Arsenal were actually very good. I think they're in really good form at the moment. Um, uh, one of the three outstanding teams, I guess, at the moment in Premier League with the City and Liverpool. Hit me with some dirt, Ken. I want some filthy... Yeah, the Daily Telegraph, I've got more information today, as you would expect, the the exciting stuff, the the bringing down the England manager stuff was kind of front-loaded, the, the week's been front-loaded, so, so we've now got the Barnsley assistant manager, Tommy Wright, who's lost his job after the Telegraph's uh, journalists um, gave him £5,000 in cash in an envelope, which he is seen accepting on the video, talking about how he's going to help them. Uh, maybe sell some players into his club, recommend players to the club, uh, recommend some of their players to the club, or make some introductions and so on. So he's gone. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was filmed over dinner, and uh, uh, he's uh, chatting away, talking about uh, some deals that, that could maybe be done. And, uh, you can see how Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank negotiates a deal. Try to make me happy, he says. They say, well, what are the 35, 40 grand? He's like, you might have to do a little bit better than that. And they're like 50, 55,000. He goes, mm, you're getting warmer. You know, so this is kind of how Jimmy Floyd does it. Jimmy Floyd, uh, Queen's Park Rangers have uh, put out a statement saying, oh, Jimmy Floyd didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Jimmy Floyd basically says, I was, you know, I don't, I was looking at a fee for a speech. You know, I, I didn't make any promises about things I was going to do for these people. You know, I haven't done anything. So I'm not too bothered. And QPR seems to be sticking with him at the moment. Then there was Massimo Cellino, the Leeds owner. Uh, we've got a clip of this, actually, because in the course of what he said to the Telegraph, and he's he's shown, uh, explained to them how they can get around third-party ownership rules. Uh, but he also offers some general thoughts on, um, on the nature of English football. The worst country in the world in this group, they are specialized for people. You... They look nice in England football. They can do what they want. They are the more dirty people in Argentina. They are angels. They come from heaven. Brazil, they are babies. In England, they are the worst in football. And you think the English people, they look good. My God, they never smile. <laughs> okay, so you gotta remember these, these are undercover. Tape recorders being yeah. used to. It couldn't be. Could you just repeat that into the mic, please? <laughs> record this audio. Yeah, might have been a bit too obvious. But the gist of that is, the, these English people—they'd like to make you look. They're all charming and clean living. The, but actually, they're a lot worse than anyone else the in the world. Dirtiest, the dirtiest, the most corrupt and crooked football country in the world. Argentina—they're angels. Brazil—they're babies. But in England, ah, the dirtiest, the dirtiest of the dirty. Hypocrisy is the English vice, says. Uh, Massimus, you know, I suppose. I mean, this is not altogether. I mean, it's a, it's a point of view again. Massimus, you know, in Italian. I mean, Savin Bilic was speaking about this thing. Oh, it's terrible, you know, when these things start to happen, it really did a lot of damage to Italian football. I mean, if you come from a uh, background, if you're familiar with Italian football, you know, when when it, when uh, an Italian club owner, Massimus Lino, was congratulating you on the skillfulness of your. Uh, approach to corruption. That, that's a real compliment. <laughs> it's a real compliment. So, um, 
It's funny. Do you remember yesterday or yeah, yesterday during the Big Sam podcast, we were talking about, I think you were making the point that it's more sophisticated now than it would have been back in the day. No more just passing brown envelopes over count over tables, etc., or no. under tables. No, it goes through a shell company in the IFSC instead. Well, not necessarily because poor old uh, I've forgotten the name of the Barnsley. Tommy system. Wright. Poor old Tommy Wright, according to the Telegraph, accepted the five thousand pounds during a meeting at a Leeds hotel on August eleventh. He said, "Cheers, just put it there," pointing at the seat next to him. He left mm. with the envelope in his jacket pocket. <laughs> poor Tommy Wright. No Swiss bank accounts for Tommy Wright. A low level operator, and unlike Sam Allardyce, not flying out to a villa in Spain to. Lick his wounds, I dare say. Um, the video of him actually accepting the money is is interesting to watch. I mean, he, she's got the like envelope; she's kind of almost brandishing it. He says, "I just leave it there," and you see it put down in the seat next to him. And then the, you see him sort of—he's obviously thinking about what he's doing. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, "Don't feel, I don't feel great about this." On the other hand, you know, man's got to pay his bills. Is it a bit like the time Wayne Rooney considered whether or not to drink the pint? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and in both instances, they they decided ultimately uh, to follow through with it. This doesn't make me feel that good. But on the other hand, uh, you know, I suppose I've just got to do what it I This wouldn't even be a choice if I didn't think that there might be people watching or judging me. Yeah. Left to my own devices, I know what I'd do in this situation. So what I make of all this, we haven't even discussed the eight Premier League managers supposedly on the take. Unnamed managers, according to, I think it was yesterday's Telegraph stuff, so it's hard to keep up with the... Yeah, is it, they're they're unnamed because the the information comes from um, a conversation with an agent who kind of names all these people. Yeah. So I think it was a number of agents. They uh, Pino Pagliara and two other agents. Of others, yeah. Um, so so he kind of named all this. Stuff. Like they they were again chatting away in, a, in what they think is a business uh, private private business type setting, uh, and you know boasting and telling telling uh, gossipy stories in the manner that people always do in that situation. <laughs> and so he uh, names a load of um, managers who the Telegraph can't name because, you know, it's hearsay. Uh, but they do provide little descriptions. Manager one, ex-Premier League manager, allegedly like bungs in cash or deposited in a Swiss bank account. Pavier said, I can call him now. And it's uh, all it is with him is how much Pino and it will be the same Swiss bank account. Uh, manager two, Ex-top flight manager has had more backhanders than Wimbledon, said Pagliara in a, in a line he's used God knows how many times. Pagliara said, this is what I hate, the guy that used to need the money, but he's had so much now that all of a sudden he's whiter than white. <laughs> manager three, after managing several British clubs, he was allegedly fired by one for having his fingers in the till. Pagliara said he would get involved if you understand that when we do deals, I have to have a carrier bag with some cash. Low tech. Low tech. That's low tech, yeah. Manager four, Pagliari said that this boss with Premier League experience, we know him very, very well. We do a transfer. X has winked at us and said, yeah, I want the player. Is there a little coffee for me, Pino? Yeah, of course there is. Manager five, ex-Premier League manager, who said Pagliari would call him and say, here's the number and give him details of a Swiss account. He said it was always numbered accounts. Manager six, former player who now manages, he allegedly likes extra money to secure deals because he's not in a big salary at his club. Um, an ex-Premier League manager is another we can put on the payroll. It's manager seven. If a player was transferred for 10 million, we'll turn around to him and say, listen, if you take this player, we look after you. Okay, okay, boom. And the last one, Agent Dax Price said, this long-serving manager will pick three trusted players, tell them he was paying them an extra £8,000 a month on condition that they paid him £4,000 a month each. So, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. Oh, so you call the player in, you say, listen, I'm going to get 
you're not going to get your waiters bumped up by this club, but I can make it happen for you. Mm-hmm. I'll bump them up by eight grand a month and I'll take half of that. Thanks very much. Player thinks, if player isn't overly scrupulous, um, thinks, yeah, sounds good. I'll take a bit of extra money. I'll let Don King here take the rest. Everyone's a winner. Hmm. Uh, and also, you're probably not feeling mega you know, confident about your ability to remain in the team. If for whatever reason you decide, oh, well, no, thank, thanks, but no thanks, boss. It's just, it sounds a little, <laughs> how shall I put this, illegal, immoral, and corrupt. <laughs> so I might just skip on yeah, that. Thanks. Uh, so am I, uh, am I playing on Saturday or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm here, I was actually about to knock on your door to demand yeah. my place in the team, but. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll separate me. Well, that's the thing, though. You know, if, if, if your manager does, does try to involve you in some kind of dealing like this, or something which maybe seems like it mightn't be right, but, you know, he obviously wants to go through with it. What are you going to do? I mean, uh, did you see Ravel Morrison's tweet? No. No one listens yeah. to a word I said, he said. And this is presumably, as far as anyone can make out, in relation to um, the story that it had come out from his time at West Ham. And remember, Sam Allardyce was the manager. Um, Morrison, the great... The, the young Gaza, you know, the, the young... Wayward um, genius. Wayward genius of English football. Imagine you could get him on the straight and narrow. Ooh, imagine what the transfer fee would be. That's Moneyball. So... Uh, if only Fergie had had him. If only Fergie had had <laughs> Ravel Morrison, he, he might have been able to sort him out. But um, he ended up at West Ham with, with Big Sam Allardyce, a man Alex Ferguson trusted implicitly. And he uh, apparently uh, was then asked to meet with uh, Mark Curtis, who was the agent who was with Sam Allardyce at the time. He, you know, he's a long-time associate of Sam Allardyce and was with him during the fateful conversation that has resulted in him losing the England job. And he, basically, they're trying to get him to sign for Curtis. And uh, I was going to say Raheem Sterling. Uh, Ravel Morrison. Ravel Morrison. Uh, uh, and Ravel Morrison... Uh, doesn't want to do it, and they're kind of badgering him and badgering him and badgering him. What do you do in that situation? I mean, it's it's like, uh, here's the guy who's in charge of whether you get in the team or not. He really seems to want you to do this, and if you don't go along with what he wants, are you going to get put in the team? I don't know exactly about the details of how that situation played out, but, you know... He it was does. with QPR. He joined QPR a couple of months later. Yeah, in the context of, of, uh, of everything that's happened, you know, it doesn't look good, does it? Really doesn't look great. Um... So, yeah, um, we'll wait and see if there's any more names attached to any of these things. In the meantime, Gareth Southgate? He's is the manager. The manager for the time being? For the next four matches. Uh, and maybe, well, I suppose we, if, that goes well, if that goes well, then maybe he'll hang on to the job. Uh, one person who's taken a strong line on this is Chris Coleman, the Wales manager, who, if I was ever looking for moral guidance in football, would be one of the first names I'd turn to to see what he thought of it. And he says, it's naive uh, to think that there's no corruption in football because it's everywhere. He says, um, it's not about class or how much you earn. And that's a good point, I think. I mean, we were talking about that Daily Mail headline yesterday. The council estate boy undone by voracious greed. Um, he said, we've seen it in governments and all other sports, whether it's drug taking, athletics, cycling or gymnastics. Now it's bungs in football. We've seen the stuff at FIFA. It's sad, but I have zero respect for anyone caught because it's people stealing money. If anyone's caught, they should be removed from the game permanently. 
and that's it. Good night. If you earn 50 grand a year, that's a good salary to the man in the street. If you're earning 50 grand a week, then why are you after more? It's just greed and dishonesty. That does seem to contradict the original point you made, which is it's not about class or how much you earn, but there you go. Um, so basically, zero uh, tolerance. We're involved in an industry where there's corruption from the very top, but what are we going to do about it if someone's caught? Will it just be a rap at the knuckles or will they be banished? If there's evidence against someone and they're found guilty, then get rid of them from the game. They should never be allowed back. When you look at the latest things being said, it's not nice. It's not, it's not good for the game. I've never taken a bung. I've never been approached to take one. I can't say I know anyone who has, but there is rarely smoke without fire. He also expresses personal sympathy for Sam Allardyce. Someone's surprised. Sorry, however, what? Oh, that, however, was the end of the sentence. He presumably doesn't think he should be allowed back into the game uh, uh, in view of you know, his, his overall attitude I'm to this issue. surprised that he's never been offered a bung. It sounds as though it's so widespread, if not the practice of taking bungs, certainly the idea that, 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 that that's a way of getting players, of getting business done in football it surprises me that he hasn't that it's never actually come up in his career but there you go well not that I want to cast any aspersions on what you know Chris the you know absolute truth of what Chris Coleman is saying but he may just not want to talk about any previous instances in which that has happened because if that did happen then he would have to he would then have to tell all about it you know what I mean he would suddenly come under pressure well what exactly happened there maybe it's happened and he doesn't really want to get into who it was I mean I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting even that he has, but hypothetically, I mean, remember when Mike Newell said this was going on, Mike Newell, like 10 years ago, Mike Newell, who was then the Luton manager, said, oh, there's bungs everywhere, corruption everywhere. And immediately he was like, what? You know, well, tell us what you know then, Mike. And he's like, oh, you know, don't really want to mention any names. They're like, well, Mike, I mean, that's not really good enough. I mean, if you know this stuff is going on, you kind of have to. So when he says I've never been offered a bung, it may just be a, a way of, I mean, I assume that he is telling the truth. He's never been offered a bung, bung, but it could also be a case of reluctance to want to really get dragged into something where you would end up, you know, you start pulling at the thread of that jumper, you know, and before you know it, you're sitting there wearing only a vest. One more quick story. Um, What's the other thing? I, I guess, oh yeah, there was this thing I saw the other day it was sort of interesting. It was um, about Louis Van Hal's, it was Louis Van Hal's ex-video coach. Uh, well, not ex, I suppose he's probably still Levin House video coach or video analysis guy. Um, obviously, they're no longer working at Manchester United, where uh, apparently the players didn't like Max Recker's video sessions. They were too negative, boring, long, sideways. Um, was talking at uh, Soccer X, um, the kind of football conference, and he said that uh, they were looking at uh, incorporating sort of virtual reality uh, masks into training uh, and Manchester United to try and get the players interested. He says, uh, Louis is very open to tech- new technology. He's a very forward-thinking manager. Um, he says, "My gener- the task for the club and coaches to facilitate that to an optimum level. My generation is the last generation of video. Record would be about, I guess, I'm guessing 40 um, from, his, uh, from his appearance. Uh, Records uh, says, everyone younger knows iPads, virtual reality, FIFA, so we have to accept they don't watch TV the way we did. I watched the game for 90 minutes. There is not a single player who does that anymore. We have to adapt. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, I know it is true in terms of watching, watching football for 90 minutes is something very few people have the concentration to now do. Yeah, forget about professional footballers. I mean, how many professional football journalists sit there watching a game for 90 minutes without checking the phone? You know, 
not it's, many. It's a generational thing. <laughs> it's a generational thing. But yeah, if, I mean, if you sit, if you look at the press box, I mean, I, mean, I, look, a lot I, of I didn't plan on watching City uh, Celtic last night, but it was just all these goals going in. Mm. I mean, if 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 I could be guaranteed a goal every sort of fifteen minutes or so on average, then you know, there's a chance the that rat- it might not also be on my laptop for the duration of the game. But I mean. You know, maybe that's the exception that proves the rule. The rat pressing the lever in the cage and gets a little pellet. If there's at least six pellets per match, yeah. per 90 minute match, I can concentrate. As long as the goals this are spaced out over, happy enough to... over both halves. Um, he says, so, um, he says uh, so basically, these uh, footballers now have a generation, younger footballers particularly, of a generation where they have a different way of, like to watch a video for them is like, you know, uh, it's kind of, I suppose, like reading a, an 18th century novel with that very dense uh, kind of thing. You know, Tristram Shandy or something like this. This very dense uh, 18th century language, which presumably at the time was just a rip-roaring. You know, this was like, wow, like this is so real. This is so off the moment. And now it kind of seems a bit dusty and alienating or a bit of a slog sometimes until you really get into the mind frame. It's like an earlier mode of expression. This, we're now talking about short video clips. Short video clips are now like that and are now as dense and in, in a way intimidating to the, to the uh, <laughs> footballer. You have to, have to find a more entertaining way of presenting the information. Um, he says, uh, but he also says, the guys who are good FIFA players have a small advantage with the virtual reality. So actually talking about how <laughs> Playing a computer game is actually kind of beginning to help them do their jobs. It's not so much about them being young or old, but the type of personality, I think. Some really like to observe themselves. Others don't. So, yeah, I suppose that's true. Like, uh, there are some people who, who enjoy sitting and watching themselves perform and analyzing it and going through it and seeing what they could improve. And then there are others who don't want to... Like Wiener, our boy Wiener over Wiener. in the U.S. He likes... He'd be... Of the school that likes to observe work that they've done. Yeah, yeah, he would. Uh, yeah, I'd say that was that great scene in that movie. He's literally sitting there watching it. I've rarely, I've seldom seen an angrier woman than his wife at that moment, and he just doesn't notice at all. <laughs> his wife is standing there, white with fury. He's just watching this video of himself uh, making, doing, making a terrible appearance on a, on a. A TV news show losing his head. Anthony Weiner is the name of this gentleman politician in the US. Anthony Weiner, star of a movie called simply Weiner. Documentary movie. Which, by the way, it's spelled W E I N E R and should really be pronounced Weiner. But for some reason in America, that's Weiner. Mm. And uh, anyway, the, the movie's worth watching. That's it for our report on sport. An old pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. England will have to four minutes. 
The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. just cannot. All right, Tom, uh, Tom English is ready to talk about what looked like a bloody great night in Glasgow, Tom. It was, yeah. It was. It was pretty sensational. Um, even before kickoff, I think the atmosphere, decibel level inside Celtic Park was was extraordinary. Really, I mean, I've been at a few good ones there over the years, but um, I think that was right up there. I actually would say it was the best atmosphere I've seen at Celtic Park, and one of the best atmospheres I've seen anywhere. It really was uh, a pretty special night. How did that come about? Because it looked, certainly looked even, it doesn't always translate to TV very well, the atmosphere at the ground, but you could see it, you could hear it. Uh, it was really mm. arresting. So, and you were right in the middle of it. What was different about that? What was better about that than all the other great European nights I've had there over the years? Um, I think, I think there's a belief, there's a belief in this team. There's a belief in Brendan Rodgers. Now, you know, the, run, the last two years under Ronnie Dyla, um, they were kind of wasted years, really. The performances weren't good. This was a throw. This is a kind of throwback to the best of Martin O'Neill and the best of Neil Lennon, uh, when they also had belief in the team. And what's I think special about the relationship between the fans and this team is that there are young guys in it, and particularly Tierney. I mean, Kieran Tierney, the fullback. Um, he's very significant in all of this because Celtic had this big thing about rearing their own youngsters and the Celtic way and all of this. And a lot of it is cliched nonsense, to be honest. You know, like going back to Jock Steen and Jimmy Johnson and all that. But here in Kieran Tini, they, they see a kind of a young Danny McGrain. And that chimes so, so well with Celtic and, and Celtic's view of itself, that bringing to it young players, giving youth its chance, fearless kind of marauders down the wing. Um, and, I, and I think there's a, there's a greater connection now between the fans and and the team than there has been for quite some time, I think. It's because of it's because of the likes of Tierney and Dembele, this kid who just dropped out of the sky um, and in the space of a couple of months has become, almost become a, a cult hero. I, just before we... I mean, Rogers obviously has a, has a bit to do with it as well, Tom, but just on the subject of the atmosphere, it's quite interesting, really, listening to that... Uh, just on TV, I was wondering what are the dynamics of it at Celtic Park now. Obviously, when you when your team scores a bunch of goals, it's always good for the general atmosphere in the ground. But it seemed to be it seems like it's the Green Brigade, the guys in the corner, who are frequently you know frequently criticised for expressing various mm. impolite opinions. Um, but they did seem to kind of they're the ones who seem to be making the noise. I wonder does the rest of, is the rest of the stadium usually joining in or just uh, sitting back and listening? No, I mean, last night, I mean, the Green Brigade, you're right, they're controversial, they've done some utterly stupid things. Um, they are quite, they have an overinflated sense of, the, of their, of their, of themselves, to be honest with you. Um, last night, it was the entire stadium. I mean, normally at, at routine matches at Celtic Park, the only people making noise are the Green Brigade. Last night, and for the big European nights, the Green Brigade are just background noise because everyone in the stadium is making noise. I mean, it was, 
It was it was incredible. I mean, I think a lot of the English journalists that came up for the match uh, were blown away by it, especially those who had never been to Celtic Park before. It was the entire stadium, and it was sustained. That was the thing from last night. And I guess the nature of the game and the, the to and fro of it um, was responsible for it. But there was hardly a lull for the whole night. I mean, it started as the teams were coming out. That was deafening. And just when you thought the noise level had hit max, it went up another notch. And that went, that was sustained for most, for most of the evening. I mean, they had a lot, they had a lot to roar about. Yeah. But that was, I think that's what made it special. They had a lot to roar about from pretty early on. I think it was the first goal, wasn't it? The free kick that was played out over to the right-hand side, volleyed across yeah. first time, and it ultimately went in off Dembele. But you talked about the faith that the fans have in Brendan Rodgers. That looks like the kind of move that would cement the faith that a bunch of players would have in their manager, a real training ground job. Oh, yeah, it was a total training ground move, executed brilliantly. I mean, the, you know, the, 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 the free kick from Sinclair out to, out to James Forrest, who hit it first time, Fiatchenko came in on a diving header. Now, I think the point was that he was going to, he was going to dive, his diving header was supposed to find the net. It wasn't supposed <laughs> to find Dembele's chest and go into the net. But who cares, right? I mean, it found it found its target eventually, and um, and yeah, Celtic fans they love that. Roger, Rogers, you know, he might be ridiculed by Liverpool fans, but he has a real presence up here, you know. Um, and I think what last night did, especially after the Barcelona match, where people, a lot of Celtic fans were going, right, okay, are they? Is our new team flat track bullies? Are we, you know, are we just going to be beaten up? Kilmarnock and Motherwell and Rangers and just be utterly irrelevant in Europe like they have been for a number of years now. But last night I think showed that Rodgers is having an impact on a bigger on a bigger stage as well. I think Man City came up and I thought, certainly in the early exchanges, they thought they were just in for a bit of an exhibition match and they found themselves in a bit of a war. Um, and that, I think that's reinforced, reinforced the Celtic fans' faith in Rodgers, that it's not just about domestic fare, which they would expect to dominate anyway, that the team is moving forward in Europe and has a relevance in Europe. And that is so, so important to Celtic, given Jock's team, given the European Cup, which they still bang on about, and they will long after we're all gone. You almost they, have to, they, see them, they see themselves as having a relevance in Europe. You, you almost have to pinch yourself uh, to remember that it's not long since they lost 7-0 to Barcelona in what was a record <laughs> defeat for any any team that had previously won the European Cup in this competition. I mean, Rogers, as you said, you know, he seems to have a presence up there. I'm interested in, in why you think it's a good fit because, you know, Rogers has got that visionary tone that he likes to adopt a, a lot of times. And I, I always wondered how that would go down in a kind of hard town like Glasgow and the answer seems to be actually really well. Really well, yeah. I mean, listen, Glasgow is a tough old town, you know. I mean, chancers and bluffers, they get found out pretty quickly here. Um, but what Rogers done, and, and, and Celtic, is, Celtic can be a tough football club, but at, at its heart, it's a romantic football club. They see themselves as a, as a, as, as a kind of a great a bastion of, of, of footballing excellence. Now, you can laugh, you can laugh, but that is... That is how they see themselves. They see themselves, and it, and it's and it's the spirit of 1967 when they won the European Cup. They they will never let that go, that identity, that Celtic. We do things a different way here. We play. We try and play football. 
Now, Rogers has tapped into that, and he's talked about Jock Steen an awful lot um, over his, in his press conferences. So he's spoken about his father, his own father, Brendan Rogers' father, quite a bit. Celtic fans love all that. A sense of identity, a sense of place. He's spoken about... He's pressed all the right buttons with them. He's spoken about Jimmy Johnson and, and playing an attacking style of football. He has kind of backed it up. He has tried to play the kind of football that Celtic fans want to see played in their stadium. And some of it has been terrific. You know, I mean, okay, it's easy to put five and six on some of the, some of the drafts that are hanging around Scottish football at the moment. But to put three on Man City, no team this season that put two on Man City, not to mind three. Uh, so I think there's an awful lot of happy Celtic fans out there today, even though it was just a point. But it was a kind of a reminder that, you know what, 7-0 against Barcelona, that doesn't have to be the norm. We're not, we're not irrelevant. We do have a place. And hearing all these, you know, Pep Guardiola and David Silva and Aguero kind of talking about the atmosphere and how special it was, they love to hear all that stuff. Did Guardiola, ex- I suppose, accept the defeat? It wasn't a defeat, obviously, but did he accept the high-scoring draw with good grace? He did. He was excellent. Yeah, he was excellent. Um, you know, he um, he said it was um, his press conference was, was interesting, actually, because at the, he, again he spoke. He did speak about the atmosphere. He spoke with great respect about about Celtic, actually, um, and with great knowledge of their players. I mean, it wasn't just lip service. That he was talking about, you know, James Forrest and and Scott Sinclair, the two wingers caused caused us Man City huge problems. Dembele, we knew about Dembele. This is the thing about Dembele, you know. I mean, he has been he scored twelve goals already. He's he's just turned twenty. Um, he looks a class act, real class act. And I don't know how English football didn't pick him up. Well, Sp- I think Spurs were trying Scotland to. Is incredible. Yeah, Spurs were trying to get him, weren't they? They they wanted to have two Musa Dembele's, but but somehow it didn't work out. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, I think his agent, Brendan Rodgers, spoken about his agent, Dembele's agent, with great praise actually, because um, Dembele's agent, I think, persuaded Dembele to, to to come to Glasgow because he knew he would get games. Mm. If he went to Spurs, how many games would he play? So I think it's, it's a shrewd call, you know. Um, because now, you know, he's playing and he's scoring in the Champions League and he's idolised by the support. I mean, it's, it's, it's really something to see. Tom English, BBC Scotland. Always good to talk, Tom. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, Mill. See if you don't get a result with Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got a job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans, you just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's your biggest fool. Which Celtic do you believe in at the moment, Ken? The three-all rip-roaring draw against Manchester City Celtic or the beaten by seven goals to nail against Barcelona Celtic? Uh, Both Celtics are part of our world. I would say there's a home Celtic and an away Celtic. Uh, The Champions League records do seem to 
point to a, a real difference between those two where they are very difficult to beat at Celtic Park and almost impossible not to beat anywhere else. Keeping it tight, you know, early doors, or indeed at any stage of the door opening process, <laughs> uh, does not appear to be uh, a skill that Celtic have in abundance. I'd say fair play to Rogers, though, you know? He has managed to uh, to get back on the back in the saddle, you know, after after a tough tough few months of exile. But yeah, he's 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 found the the sweet spot there. He knows what he's he's uh, he under, he gets Celtic. He gets what Celtic are about, and uh, it could be a good uh, could be a good year or two. I guess I didn't give you a chance earlier to. Tell a story of a couple of Premier League footballers out having a good time. Well, where are they though? Where are they? Um, yes, they were. It seems according to <laughs> according to widespread media reports. Um, but it's not something that uh, Slavin Bilic, uh, the coach of West Ham, has much of a problem with. The players in question are Andy Carroll and Ireland goalkeeper Darren Randolph. Um, so they went out for a team bonding night. Uh, everybody. Uh, Everybody's having a great time. And supposedly with uh, Darren Randolph and Andy Carroll, it went on till you know, about the next afternoon. <laughs> How do we know this? Uh, you know, tweets and sort of people seeing them. Oh, what, what's going on here? I'm in Shoreditch. I can see Darren Randolph and Andy Carroll. They're, you know. Um, but Billish, though, seems to be taking responsibility. He says, it was completely my idea. We had a big meeting and spoke. At the end, I told Mark Noble, take the guys out, go for a meal, spend some time together. Of course, there have been some rumours in the papers, but it's private. We're going to see what happens. Um, he says, uh, I spoke to the chairman. We have a game at the weekend we're totally concentrated on. Then we'll speak after the game. If necessary, we're going to act. But it was my idea entirely, and for me, it's a good thing to do, but not every week. In a good situation or bad situation, it's good to stick together, good for team building. It was suggested, and it's not proven. We're always trying to discuss it to solve problems like a family in the club. So, uh, yeah, uh, team bonding uh, it's pretty good, I suppose, that, that Billich at least is saying was my idea. Maybe, maybe they took it to. Maybe they just bonded too hard. Strict curfew on this one, lads. You have to be in bed by two p.m. tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I know some of you are going to push me on this, but that's my final word. <laughs> just get off, get off the streets of London sometime by midday. Please. Wrap this up sixteen to eighteen hours after we start. <laughs> and don't forget that, that meal. That. Don't forget that meal in the first hour. Like yeah. the only food you're going to eat in this entire process, that meal that you're meeting up for. Incidentally, I, I should mention, I saw one other story. I think it was that fine Italian uh, uh, newsman Gianluca De Marzio, mm. who reports uh, in, with word of repeated crisis around Chelsea, Roman Abramovich has been sticking by his team and his coach, Antonio Conte. Abramovich decided to attend the club's training the last three days and on two occasions had lunch with Conte directly following. After the heavy defeat to Arsenal at the weekend, this is a strong showing of support from the owner to the Italian manager. Would that we all had such support in our lives. Our Big Sam reaction podcast is out now. Our all Ireland preview is out now. And Ken also asked a question during that pod. Precisely how many of the American Ryder Cup team will take a knee during the playing of the National Anthem this weekend? We'll find that out in the next few days. I feel nice and grubby now. Off to have a shower. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for all that. Thanks for throwing that filth at me. Uh, thank, thank, thank you, Owen. And thank you for thank that you, filth. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks a million. Thanks for the emails earlier on. And we will talk to you soon. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.